Welcome to To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week, join Eric Trexler and Rachel Lyon to explore the latest in global cybersecurity news, trending topics, and industry transformation initiatives impacting governments, enterprises, and our way of life. Now, let's get to the point. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of To The Point Podcast. I'm Rachel Lyon, here yet again with my co-host, Eric Trexler. Eric, how was your weekend? Rachel, two weeks ago, you accused me of cheating on you. That's right. For a podcast we did. I'm still and holding on to that. now you're saying yet again, here with Eric <laughs> Trexler, like you're tired of me. Well, I'm just trying to reinforce that we're we're kind of a duo here, you know, just in case people forgot that, that I'm <laughs> yeah, around, I, I, you know, that's all. I made amends for my my scandal, sorry. <laughs> my weekend was fine. It was nice in the D.C. area. It was, uh, it, it was fine. How about you? It was great. Home improvement projects. I got all the uh, things done. Move, you moved on me. You moved when you when you that week you didn't show for the podcast. Yes. And now you're fixing everything you moved into. I am, and I have a home improvement project where I, my grandmother has uh, carpet in the kitchen. Yeah. Why? And uh, yeah, I got it. That's my mom the next. had carpet in the kitchen. I don't. I don't understand. I got it. There's a lot of mystery stains on that carpet after 20 years sitting there. And I got to tell you, it's time to time to go. But I'm scared what I'm going to find underneath. So I've been starting slow, <laughs> building up. So I remember <laughs> I remember being a little boy and I was told I was told that you clean as you go when you cook. And I've done yep. it my whole life, even Same. in restaurants and everything else. And uh, you can imagine what that's like when your mother has carpet in the kitchen and you spill some pasta sauce or something on the carpet. It throws off the whole cooking. I'm very well-timed and everything, and I like yeah. things clean. Anyway, we could talk a long that's time about That's what dogs this, are for, though. I have three dogs, so they I don't have that problem. Dogs don't list, lick sauce <laughs> out of the carpet effectively, I've found. Anyway, what are we talking about today? Who is here? Because I can't imagine he's listening to this and not wanting to chime in. I can hear the giggles. I'm so excited. All right. Hold on, hold, Matt, you can't say anything okay. until the no, big but he reveal. Can't, I love that he can't. He's like, he's giving me a tease <laughs> to the big reveal. Uh, do whatever right. you want. It's our show. Go so ahead, we, Rachel. Uh, we've got Matt Bianco. He is president of Fedway Consulting joining us today. and He knows everything there is to know about electric vehicles, electric vehicle charging, integration with U.S. government, and he's going to break it all down for us today. Welcome to the podcast, Matt. And security. Oh, yes, oh, and yes. the cyber thing. Yeah, yeah, that part too. <laughs> Very nice to meet you guys. And, and I'm looking forward to this. It's, it's nice to get the message out. And there's a lot of mis, mis, miscommunications around this type of subject. So um, I'm excited. Thanks for having me. Like, like the miscommunication when somebody says, I want carpet in my kitchen. And nobody tells you it's a bad idea. Matt, my did you ever have a family member with carpet too, in the well. kitchen? Oh, they did? What's okay, that? that's good to know. Yes. I, I Say that again? crazy. He, he had did. carpet they too. Did. You did. Yes. I, it must have been a fad. <laughs> that, I, I want to say, yeah, that probably was 60s, 70s that they put like, that in. Like the avocado refrigerator. Yeah, it had to be a fad. Too. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was a thing back in the day. It's a northeastern thing. Held on to it. Well, well my grandma okay, was in Rachel. Texas, but anyway, we won't we yeah. won't uh, delve into that. So. Matt, like, tell us what's going on here in the EV market because it's it's all you hear about lately, uh, and particularly government. I'm, I'm I think our listeners can be really fascinated what's happening happening there. Blows my yeah, mind that the government's thinking about EVs. I think it's amazing. And then you yes. think about it, and it makes total sense. But what's going on, Matt? Yeah, when you have a gigantic fleet, I mean, what way to you know impact the environment in a positive way than to take a 
you know, whatever, whatever the fleet is at now, 680 or 700,000 vehicles and electrify it. I mean, it's, it's, it can make a huge, huge, huge impact. So there's a couple different sides here. There's, there's the side that we hear a lot on the news right now about, which is the infrastructure bill and the federal grants and money that is around that. And they talk about $5 billion and all of this, which is, which is outstanding. That's going to be the side of really the the states and municipalities and some private sector where they're going to be applying for these grants and taking the federal money and implementing corridors for fat, you know, fast charging. So people are comfortable on long trips with their EVs. Um, also, you know, some some workplace charging and some things like that. So that's that side. So I don't get as as involved in that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's going to be a little bit different, uh, you know, side of the coin. But with. With what I'm involved in, it's more of the electrification of the federal fleet and getting the get that electrified, getting EVS, EVSE in at federal sites and at federal agencies, military bases, VA hospitals, mm-hmm. um, you know, you name it. I could, I could, the list goes on. Um, I work and Matt, with I want to stop you for a second just yeah. to make sure we're all on the same page. Yes. EVSE, electric vehicle. Supply equipment. Really, the chargers, the charging infrastructure, and chargers, as we think of it, as as we Correct. should think about it. Correct. Okay. So, you're, I'm, I'm so when we say when you're saying EVSEs, no, no, no. I and, and I'm in the market myself, as we shared beforehand. Yeah. So I'm I'm up with it. But I was like, that was a newer one to me. I just thought of it as electric vehicle chargers. I would have yeah. made it EVCs, but okay. Yeah, so that's, electric that's vehicle supply equipment and, and seven hundred thousand vehicles. In the federal government motor pools, a little shy of that, but yeah, I think something in the six hundred eighty thousand range or something like that. Uh, wow. Last okay, I so almost so, seven. That wow, that does include the postal service, which is a whole nother can of worms. Um, right. You know, with electrifying that, and you you know you can read the news about that. Can't really talk too much about that, but you know they they have one hundred eighty thousand themselves. So. Wow. Um, you know, the rest is, is the rest of the federal fleet. But, you know, military's got a, a, a large, a large fleet, um, you know, even some of these Department of Energy labs. I mean, that th- this is like, you know, the the light duty motor pool type of vehicles. But then you've also got lots of trucks and buses, you know, uh, law enforcement training, federal law enforcement training center has lots of buses that they're going to be electrifying, things like that. So there are some pretty large vehicles. Then you've got the whole tactical side of military that probably more like 2050 is when they're going to get to the point where they can fully electrify that. Um, that's and you're talking Humvees, tanks, and the like for that, for that yeah. type of... Wow. Correct. Okay. But, but just, just to substantiate what you're saying, I mean, there's 700, almost 700,000 vehicles in the federal motor pools, yep. not yep. counting postal. And we have companies like Amazon, FedEx, UPS, they're driving hard on electric vehicles mm-hmm. to save cost. Right. Right. Okay. And, and so it's, to, it's to probably a good move for the government is what I'm trying to get to. Absolutely. Absolutely. At, at least commercial industry says it's a good move for us. Right. You would think the government would say, well, is it a good move for us? It probably is. Let's think about that. Yeah. And take away the climate impact, just the maintenance of the vehicles and not having right. to deal with oil changes every three months and not dealing with Spark all the different plugs, issues yeah. that come with 800 moving parts compared to something like 80 in an EV. Um, I'm not an expert on that, but that's it's a significant difference. So, yeah, just the maintenance itself, take away the climate impact. So the government sees a, a substantial savings in going to EVs 
over traditional and internal combustion engine vehicles, maintenance and cost and, and fuel reduction requirements and everything else, right? Absolutely. Which Long-term commercial push. industry supports. Correct. Because they're all going there. Okay. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Long term. That's the goal. Um, you know, the vehicles are a little more expensive up front right now, but right. battery costs are coming down. Vehicle costs are coming down as the options. You know, you've got Kia and Hyundai and, you right. know, some of these, these vehicles that, you know, that are a little bit less expensive. And, you know, Ford's got their Mustang Mach-E that's on GSA schedule. Um, you know, so there's there's lots. There, the more options there are, the costs will come down and and, you know, even more there's- impactful. I think there's a Hummer EV too, right? That's come out. Coming out. Yeah. Coming out. Yeah, it's like yeah. hundred and thirty thousand dollars, I think, Rachel. You know, well, you could sleep in it. Just make it your home, and uh, yeah, you're right. Or, or just yeah. just order five of those, right? <laughs> it does the crab walk too, though. You got to look up the crab walk. It kind of diagonally. It does moves. do. That. I saw that. It does do the crab walk. Yes. So, but uh, okay. So we think these- it's a, financially, it's a good idea, is what yes. we're saying for the government to go in this direction, probably right. quickly. Right? Are they going? What, what's the holdup? I mean, if, yeah. it, if commercial so, industry so, is saying it's good and we need to do it, what's the holdup? They, they are. So the first step was two things: get get vehicles on GSA schedule for the agencies to purchase. So they've got to have access to the vehicles. Get these companies to produce vehicles maybe at a little quicker rate because government's going to buy in volume. You know, they'll get an order for a couple thousand EVs from Army or something like that. That's just an example. Um, trying not to name names of agencies here so I get in trouble. But, but, but you know, just in general. So they, you know, they've got to get the production up. And then you've got to have the EVSE, the, the service equipment, the chargers, in place because it's like chicken and egg theory. You know, you've got to have the chargers there to charge the vehicles before they get there. And a utility tied charger takes, you know, sometimes upwards of a year and more to, to get in place. There's options to to suppress that. But in any case, that's the first Why step is getting that? the vehicle. Wow. Why does it take so long? I mean, they're commercially available. It's it's the permitting, it's the digging, you've got to do construction, you've got to I always say that I help agencies from concept to completion. So the yeah. concept is, hey, what kind of like what power do we have available even? Um, do we have enough power in this area? Where do we want to put them? Then you've got to start permitting for it. You've got to get uh, contracts in place to do the construction work, to do the digging, to pull the electrical. Okay. You know, it's it's quite a process. Mm-hmm. Well, and even okay. getting on the GSA schedule, I know from the government work we do, yeah, yeah. takes a long time. Like f- just from a vehicle perspective or an EVSE charging pers- perspective, you've got to prove prove like commerciality. You've got to learn how to work with the government. Commerciality right. meaning this is what we typically sell it for. So you can't put a new vehicle right. on GSA until you can prove that there's a set market price for it. It's okay. So this is a long them, tail. You've got to give them the best price too on top right. of that. So you've got to give them a discount, assuming that you're going to have volume. Right. 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 So, okay. So long tail here, great idea. Still takes a couple years to do it. It's not super easy. It's complex. Right. The other side, exactly. And the other side is these vehicles are are often leased by GSA or they're potentially owned, but they have a life cycle and they've already right. planned five, seven years ago for the life cycle of that vehicle. So they're going to start replacing them as they come up for cycle. They're not going to, you know, jump right. ahead and say, hey, these vehicles aren't going to be supposed to be replaced until 2024. We're going to do it now. You're going to replace the, the vehicles that are ready to be replaced right. and kind of trickle it in. 
Okay. That's, that's prudent. So is that why? So what is what's the current fleet? Have we talked about that? I mean, how much is currently electric? I know, you know, Biden has set Good some question. goals more on the commercial side, but kind of what does that landscape look like today, Matt? Great, great question. So just to bump backwards, the, the Obama administration had one uh, executive order 13693, which the goal then, which looking back is funny to look at, was 25% of new purchases by 2020. So wow. those vehicles cycling back in, you know, when they're buying a vehicle or leasing a new vehicle was supposed to be by 2020, 50%. And when did that come out? That was 2014, I believe. Wow. So he um, said in six years, we're going to get 25% of the vehicles turned over yep. in, in electric. But what, what's the average life of, of a government vehicle? Um, I want to say somewhere in the 10 year range. I'm not that, that I would have to, I would have to confirm, but seven to 10 okay, years. So somewhat, somewhat realistic. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. And, did did but, it happen? No, it didn't. So, so we had a little delay and it was, it was about a 1%. Right now, about one percent is electrified, wow. so we're 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 well behind what it should be. Um, you know, I can give less than ten grand. Yeah, it's it's yeah. pretty low. It's probably between between ten and twenty twenty thousand vehicles tops. Um, the numbers have changed recently. There's been a lot more purchases, so I'm going off of what I've heard. You know, maybe a few months ago. Mm -hmm. um, so hopefully, it's increased just in the last few months since this new executive order came out that we'll talk about. But um, but actually, that's a good parlay. I might as well talk about it. The, the new executive order is Executive Order One Four O Five Seven, which is catalyzing clean energy, you know, and 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 basically fed around federal sustainability. So there's a lot of items building, you know, reducing CO two emissions around buildings, around any type of power that you're generating and that type of thing and using. So it's broader than just EVs, but the EV piece of it. Um, they put a f federal sustainability plan out and there's kind of like three pillars. And mm -hmm. one of the pillars is the, uh, you know, electrification of the federal fleet. So uh, that plan outlines the numbers for that are tw by 2027. The goal is to have 100 percent of light duty vehicles. That's like your motor pool, sedans, that type of thing. Um, so so like they the want Chevy Malibu equivalent that, that an yeah. army recruiter might use to drive to to see uh -huh. a candidate. Correct. Correct. Things like that. Yep. Okay. So, wow. So that's by 2027. The goal is to have a hundred percent of purchases. So that's looking at wow. new purchases though. Right. So it's not like the whole fleet will be there. It's just by 2027, we want right. to make sure that every new purchase is going to be an EV. Um, and you know, that's probably a third of the federal fleet. I I'd have to look the numbers up and refresh my memory, but, mm -hmm. but it's a pretty large chunk of it. Now they do have, the medium, it might even be closer to two thirds. It's between a third and two thirds, or you know, maybe even closer to a half of the federal fleet. Say, say three, three to four hundred thousand of them, or of the six hundred eighty thousand that are out there now, are 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 kind of light duty. Then you get into the medium and heavy duty, and the goal they've put for that is twenty thirty five, hundred percent new purchases for the federal fleet. Right. And that's you know just because the options are not there now. They have right. options everywhere. We had a little, you know, beginning conversation about, uh, you know, prior to this about Rivian and some of those, you know, the delivery timeframes and getting these to market. They're they're announcing them a lot quicker than they're producing them. So, right. um, but like Volvo has construction vehicles that you can see in the news, all kinds of buses. So buses will be right. fairly easy to, to work with. But then you've got the the long haul trucks and different things that are involved with the federal fleet as well. 
Um, so then that's medium and heavy duty. That doesn't count like army tactical vehicles and, and tanks and things like that. But medium heavy duty would be more like, you know, trucks, buses, construction right. equipment, you know, that type of thing. And, and is it possible? Like, can they hit, can they legitimately hit those targets? I, I you know, it's, that's a really good question. It's definitely lofty. You know, there, there, it's a goal. And I guess yeah. that's, you know, I, my, my, you know, my background, I've always been a very goal oriented person, but you don't always hit your goals, but, yeah. but I, I think it's doable. It's not an unreachable goal. Um, and I think they looked at the numbers like as vehicles are cycling, there's a federal fleet report that you can Google and find that gives, um, that GSA puts out that's got the number of vehicles at each agency and, and what types of vehicles they are and that type of thing. So if anyone's interested, you know, you can, you can find that information pretty, pretty readily. So, so a couple questions come to my mind. The, the, you know, are there enough vehicles being made that they could actually buy them? If, the, if everything else is perfect, could they actually buy them? Mm-hmm. How do they get them into the federal supply chain? And we, we, we talked about GSA, but just what does it do to motor pool contracts and, you know, how they, how they deal with that? They need less mechanics. They need less fueling. I mean, I've seen fuel depots on lots of bases. Do you, right. do right. you curtail the need for that? Um, what about the EVSE, the charging infrastructure that you, right. that we were talking about, the opening of the show here? Can they have that mm-hmm. in place? Because if you buy a car, but you can't, you know, light light vehicle, light right. duty vehicle, you buy a car, but you can't charge it. What do yep. you do? And then how do they? The, the other thing, then just and just random thoughts here, Rachel. If an electric vehicle is twenty thousand dollars more to than the equivalent internal combustion engine vehicle, how do they justify a higher price? I mean, I guess they'd have to write into the specs. We're looking for an electric vehicle, not. But you're using logic. You're using logic. I'm like extrapolating this out to government procurement (laughs) logic or whatever you want to call that. Like someone's going to say, we can get a Chevy Malibu, which we've been buying for three decades for, I'll just make this up, $32,000 GSA pricing. Sure. We've now got a electric vehicle supply here, fleet that we can pull from, but the average vehicle's price is $50,000. Um, you know, best price says we give it to the Chevy Malibu all day long. Somebody's got to educate in that whole process, Rachel. And yes. I'm betting, Matt, you've got a lot of experience with that. Yes. I yep. do from the cybersecurity and IT side. It's not easy, yeah. though. Logic doesn't yeah. necessarily – like education has to be, right. be applied. Yeah, and there needs to be the, the guidances and the orders to do this, which are there. So um, that comes into play. They're being told they have to electrify the fleet. It's a very, very large goal of theirs. So the fact that they're going to spend a little bit more money on a vehicle, as long as they're available G- via GSA schedule, they're all set. And there are several vehicles available already. So there's plug-in hybrids, which is a PHEV. So it's it's got a gas engine, but then it's also got a battery that can go 20, 30, 40 miles of range. Right. They are implementing some of those. There's some, you know, some some hybrid vehicles, but there's so many more electric options already. They they do have all the Tesla models on GSA schedule. They've got the Ford Mustang Mach-E. They've got the Hyundai Kona or uh, Kia, yeah, the Hyundai Kona and the Kia Nero and all these different uh, these different vehicles. So they've probably got a good 15 or 20 
pure electric vehicles available to them. So the availability okay, so is there. So now they're pre-competed, pre-vetted. You know, they can just go and purchase off that schedule. So they're available. Mm-hmm. And that cost that's well, extra. Go ahead. No, go ahead. So the cost that's extra gets balanced out a little bit over time um, because, and and like you said, looking up front, it is a little more expensive and, you know, but there are ways for them to purchase them, even though they are more expensive. But then you look at the life cycle, uh, you know, to Rachel's point is, Hey, that the, you know, no oil changes and no, no, no real maintenance for, for at least the first three to five years of that vehicle. Um, many less moving parts and that type of thing. Um, it, it actually gives fleet managers less headaches, too. So it, it frees up some of their time because they don't have to pester these guys and these girls that are fleet drivers in the in in the federal workplace to, to get these in for, you know, for maintenance and that type of thing. So um, it, it eases a lot of pressure on their side of things. But the, but there's a lot of availability. You, but you did talk about chargers. That is the big predicament. They've got to have this infrastructure ready for these vehicles. Um, they've got to get the budget for the vehicles too. That's the other thing, you know, it's, 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 it's budgeting their money to, to do that. There's no federal budget really passed currently. So, um, they'll start a sprint here in the next few months to get some things done. Um, but yeah, the chargers take a little time to implement. There's ways to circumvent that, but, um, you've got to have the infrastructure ready to charge it or you, you'll, you'll be, you know, left in a little bit of a lurch. So I think that's why some agencies are choosing those plug-in hybrids because, hey, at least peace of mind, they've got the, you know, the, the gas engine to, to back them up as needed. Um, but then what happens is they let the battery deplete and then they just, yeah, we won't even charge it and we'll just use the gas. So it defeats the whole purpose. Well, and you have all those same exactly. maintenance issues yeah. and everything else, but you probably have a slightly yes. additional cost. I've not wanted to do half steps, so I haven't really looked into it. I mean, I know the, you're talking about like the Prius category, those type vehicles where you've got an engine, but a battery. Yeah. Yeah. There's, 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 um, hybrid fuels vehicles, you know, Prius has those, but they also have a plug-in where it's got a, you know, an actual battery, but I agree. I don't, I don't believe in half steps either. I don't think the government's government's really going to lean that way. There's enough Mm -hmm. pure electrics. They call them BEVs, battery electric vehicle. So that's a full electric. Um, so I, I think that's the way they'll go. It's just getting these vehicles cycled out and getting the infrastructure in place to, to charge them. And, um, you know, I've mentioned a few times there's quick ways. There's something on the market called the EV arc uh, from a company called right. B Global that is, you know, drop it and go. So a lot of military mm-hmm. sites are liking that. There's an article in the in the news about the Marine Corps buying some of these. And that that's a quick way for them to deploy where they don't have to dig. It's not real property. They right. can put this solar charging station in. And it's really, really, really well suited for you know, fleets where you're, you're driving five, 10, 15, 20 miles a day and you plug it in every night and it's just purely, you know, purely solar and contained into a, a, a parking space. So they can get those implemented in a matter of like two or three months compared to sometimes a year or two for a, for wow. a utility project to, to go full cycle. Okay. That's, so it's crazy. Yeah. Being a cybersecurity show, I noticed we're about 23 yes. minutes in without talking cybersecurity at <laughs> it's all. It's a build up that what we're building the, up to it. Yes. No, no, I know. This is great. What what are the cybersecurity implications of going to BEVs, battery electric vehicles, mm-hmm. right? The, the more modern technology, you've got the EVSEs, the charging infrastructure that I'm assuming is connected to the internet or online at least. Mm-hmm. Right. So what what are the considerations that that customers 
need to think about as they're as they're employing this new modern technology. No, that, and that's a great question. There's there's a couple different things here at play. So there's the 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 vehicle itself and the connected vehicle. I'm not so much an expert on the connected vehicle side of it. Um, you know, that's Tesla's far far and away further along with 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 the connection of the vehicle than some of these others. You know, doing over the air updates to the vehicle right. and all that type of stuff. It's the same thing with charging too, and I'll get into that. But there's um, there's something related to that called ISO 15118, which is a, a, a security protocol for, you know, for vehicles focused on vehicles and the, and the vehicle charging. So to parlay that or to, I guess, uh, go into go into the, the actual charging station, which I'm an expert more on, is um, there's there's two things. There's plug and charge, which Tesla has this the, its own kind of closed ecosystem. Right. So. Right. A car goes in, plugs their vehicle in, the, the vehicle communicates with the charging station. It knows, you know, it's got the person's credit card information. It's got the vehicle information and it and it it's there's there's a little bit more risk involved in plug in charge in that ISO one five one one eight. But typical charging station. So I worked for a company called ChargePoint for four or five years that was they're the market leader in, in, in you know, level two charging. There's a lot that now there's a lot of companies on the market similar. And they all fall into the same boat. There's EVgo, Electrify America, SemiConnect, Blink, um, you know, ChargePoint. Uh, I mean, I can keep naming the list. But which which are, are level three chargers, which allow you to commercially plug in. Right. Right. They're actually in some cases level two and level three, but you're right. So level two to give and, perspective. And they're not chargers. They're they're charging systems infrastructure where you, regardless of your car, you can pull up to an electrify America charging station, correct, put your card in, tap your card, do whatever you need to do and, and fill up essentially. And that's where the security comes in. That's the perfect segue. The security okay. comes into when you're tapping your card right. to charge, but you're correct. So there's Tesla's got their own plug, kind of like a, you know, Apple has their own with, with phones. Um, so then the other different connector. Are, yeah. So they use a different connector. The level two connector outside of that is universal. It's called the J plug or the J1772. So every vehicle outside of a Tesla in North America has this J plug. Then there's level three. Level three charging is DC fast. So level two is like 25 miles of range per, per, per hour coming, you know, being replenished into your vehicle. It's more for like, hey, you're charging overnight or you're charging at work and you just want to get a few hours, you know, a few hours of charging in to get your commute mileage back or whatever it may be. It's long dwell time charging. Level three charging is now you're 50 kilowatts and above, ranging from 200 miles of range per hour up to, you know, probably wow. eventually here, 1500 to 2000 miles of range per hour. Wow. So there's different plugs associated to that. There's the CCS combo, they call it, which is um, CCS one, which is uh, like the European manufacturers and American vehicles. And then there's something called the Chatamo. The Chatamo is Nissan Leafs used to have them. They're going to make the switch to, to CCS here soon is what I'm reading about. But um, it's a lot of the Asian uh, manufacturers that were using that Chatamo. So there's a little bit of nuance when you get into fast charging. But like Electrify America and EV, EVgo especially is all fast charging. They don't really have any level two, but most of the other companies have level two options. 
um, to where they'll, you know, put stations in at a town center or something like that, where you go and you're going to the coffee shop and you're going to charge for an hour or two and get 25, 50 miles of range back into your vehicle. And it's, you know, it's just a different behavior. Um, you're, you don't, I've driven an EV for six years now and I never, you know, I used to let my gas go down to under a quarter of a tank and then go, go hit it. You know, you'd be late yeah. for work. You have to go fill up your tank, but here you're just plugging it in wherever you go. So you're keeping your battery between 20 and 80% filled and you know, you're going to these stations as you see them. So that's kind of the background there. Now the cyber side comes into it when, and I worked for a company, a couple of different cyber companies. Um, I, I worked for an encryption company, um, file level encryption company, but also a company called Hacker One that that does um, yeah. research researcher based, um, uh, you know, white hat hacking, bug bounty programs, that type of thing. Which the okay. company I do a lot of my work with is ChargePoint, and um, they use Hacker One to to nice. to, do, to to work on this stuff. So let's back up. You've got the vehicle security. So that's the connected vehicle, a little different. Now on this side, you've got the charger security. Let's forget about Tesla and plug in charge and ISO 15118. Let's just think about everything else. Now it's just an electric signaling to the vehicle. So you take the plug out of the station, you plug it in, the station saying, I have this much power to give, the car saying, I can accept this much power. It's never, it's always gonna match. And there's a signal that goes on and there's not much cyber concern when it comes to that. You can't hack into the grid by way of that. Plug in charge opens up a whole nother can of worms. So, you know, we'd have to, that's something potentially in the future, but right now it's not going that way. Um, but because it's just too tough, you've got all these manufacturers, you've got all these different types of vehicles. Tesla can do it because they've got this closed ecosystem. So you've got the signal where the security comes into play and where federal is really digging in now um, more in the last year or two. I've worked with federal agencies on this stuff since 2014. So we're, we're approaching eight years that I've been doing it. And um, so, the, you know, the biggest concerns are you're, you're tapping the, the RFID card or using your phone to start a session or whatever it may be. What happens to all that data? Um, you know, if it's a fleet vehicle, there's data being captured for that fleet vehicle. But the key there is it's really unclassified data. So it's, it's you know, kind of dummy data. It's whatever vehicle you assign to this, this serial number on this RFID card. And that's the fleet side. So um, really, it's just how much power is being pulled, how much energy is being used, how long are the charging sessions? You know, very, very minor data, not really sensitive. The, the, the personally owned vehicle side, when they tap the card on, you know, RFID card, now it's going to capture credit card information to make a payment and things like that. So that's packeted. All the data is packeted and sent over the airwaves. It's encrypted at rest and in transit lands. Typically, most of these companies are using AWS and hosting it, hosting their data on AWS servers. So it lands there. It's encrypted and protected and you know, government loves FedRAMP, so th those servers are FedRAMP certified and all of that good stuff. The latest, and, and interrupt me if you want me to kind of slow down a little bit, but the latest and what GSA is really digging into right now is do these companies that provide software like a ChargePoint, like a SemiConnect, like a Blink, like a, you know, whoever has their software package, uh, GreenLots is a, is a software only type of application. Um, do they need to be FedRAMP certified? And I think right. the general consensus is starting to be no. 
that's more of a cloud hosting company that, you know, they're, they're, they're hosting data and it's, it's potentially classified data and some other types of things, government data. Um, this government data is really non-sensitive. Well, so, I mean, the FedRAMP PMO might argue that if it's, if it's hosted by a CSP, a cloud service yeah. provider, mm-hmm. right. and it's government data, it needs to be hosted on a government, uh, a FedRAMP platform. I think Co- is correct. What they would so that's say. what I don't want to speak for them, but that's what I no no, and that's what I've been engaged in. That's a great point because that's what they're trying to determine. So I can't really talk about the contract. There's a there's a contract that is actually due. There's an RFQ that's due to GSA by EVSE companies. Uh, by 5 p.m. today. So there's going to be a lot of people uh, responding to that. And they're going to put together what's called a, a, a several blanket purchase agreements to make it easy for the agencies to procure these charging stations. Part of that process, which is really essentially public, it's only out if you have you have to have your product on GSA schedule currently to respond to this. But there were some drafts that went out in the past that were potentially going to be in full and open competition. But they're comparing. There's a comparison questionnaire, FedRAMP versus NIST 800-171. So um, NIST 800 is more of a self-assessment that they prefer you use a third party or a 3PAO like a FedRAMP, you know, 3PAO to go through this gap assessment and and see what the issues are. Um, So I can't really get into a lot of that just because of the contract that's on the streets right now, as far as how that's playing out. Um, but prior to that, and just in general, the general consensus is that we're thinking that maybe NIST 800-171 will be, will be, um, will be the, will be sufficient. So yeah, that's, almost, that's, that's controlled unclassified information as I remember. Right. Correct. CUI. Yeah. So the mechanisms required for that. Yeah. That's, I mean, I don't want to get into that on the show, but we definitely yeah. have, I mean, there, there are definitely concerns to think about. So yes. let me, let me ask you a question then when you're talking to procurement shops or, or customers, GSA, the like, and I don't want any specifics, of course, mm-hmm. um, are they thinking about cybersecurity? Are they thinking about protecting information? 800-171, FedRAMP and the like. It sounds like they are. Yes, absolutely. They're digging in really heavily. So you've got the the DIB or, you know, the, the, the Defense DHS. Defense industrial base, yeah. Yeah, so you've got GSA and DHS working together, you know, and, and, and you know, they are definitely digging into this very heavily and, and just trying to figure out what's going to be appropriate, but not put constraints on the industry, too. Because there's a lot of small companies involved in this, yeah. too. So, you know, it, it's it's sadly, it's a lot of money. You know, you look at like a FedRAMP certification, it takes two, a, a, a really around two million, years. millions yeah. of dollars. Yeah. It's years. It's really difficult. Right. And once yes. you get in, you just made a market. Absolutely. Right? So the first company that gets in has has massive advantage over everybody right. else. Absolutely. It just takes a while to get in. Yeah. Correct. So now you've got that conundrum. If it's going to take a couple of years to get FedRAMP certified, there's no product FedRAMP certified. How do you get these electric vehicles in place? And you can't just put a dumb non-networked plug because now you can't control who uses the station. You can't pull reports to see how much energy is being used. You could, but it's very difficult. You you know, there's there's so many things that come with network networking a charging station. There's something called the FAST Act. Fixing America's Surface Transportation Act that allows agencies yeah. to let personal vehicles charge. But the only way you can charge them and do the whole billing process through to that and, and allow people on the station 
is through a network charging station. But they're realizing that it's not, it's two things. The connection's very non-abrasive. So it's via cellular. Um, typically, you're not going to touch any government network. You know, there's no, uh, you know, Wi-Fi connection or, or Ethernet connection. It's usually done through cellular. So that makes it a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit easier as well. Um, but then it's, the CUI is very minimal. It's, you know, it's, and it's very non-sensitive data. Um, I've got an example of an agency where, for instance, they have their RFID card with a serial number atta- virtually attached to a vehicle, but they don't even put what the vehicle is. It's like vehicle one, you know, it's just right. like code. Right. But if it's marked as CUI, it's CUI and they're, they're costly. Right. And when I say expensive, it's more than just the, the cost, right? It's, it's, right. How do you manage it? What systems do you need to have in place? What what networks are you on? Yeah. It does yeah, raise correct. the price. Where my mind keeps going, Matt, is you know back in the um, early days of of smartphones like iPhone and the Google devices, mm-hmm. the government thought it had the ability to to uh, kind of regulate how they're used. But the reality is the commercial demands on these providers, Apple and, and Google, Samsung, and the like, just and they just blew right past the government. The government couldn't mandate anything because commercial just went and bought it. I'm I'm wondering if the same thing happens here with with the different networks and the different systems where they're like, look, we've got such a global demand. US government with your 700,000 vehicles and all your complexity and and we just don't have the time to deal with you. Right. Take it take it or leave it. This is what you're getting right now. Because you're right, FedRAMP would take them two years. I mean, ChargePoint would take two years to get through FedRAMP. They'd have to have a parallel system probably. And and what could they do in two years to to leapfrog the competition? And I'm just picking on ChargePoint. Is it it even worth it with the data that you're collecting? Well, that was the the cell phone thing, right? Do we do do all this stuff for the government requirements or do we say – I think at the time there was like a – there was like a 600 – this is like 2010 maybe – there were 600 million potential smartphone users. That was the total addressable wow. market. Wow. And the government, you know, the government, let's, let's call the U.S. government, I don't know, let's call it 4 million people, right? 2 million mm-hmm. DOD, 2 million civilian loosely. Not all of them would get a government-issued smartphone. The government's like, hey, we got our 2 million people and we want you to do what you, we want you to do. Yeah. And I remember talking to a lot of providers from a security perspective and they were like, Look, we got a $600 million TAM here or, or $600 million uh, device TAM. Yeah. We don't have time to adhere to the government's requirements. We're doing it and, and they'll fall in line because they want phones. I'm wondering if wow. we're going to do it and they'll fall in line because they want, they've got the executive order, 14057. Yeah. They've got yep. the mandates, right? And, and they're just going to have to comply. Yeah, no, great, great point. Yeah. And, and they are thinking I, about it. I don't it. know That's the answer. Different. And doing something that's maybe a, that you know protecting them, but not making you know companies go through that that lengthier process is that NIST eight hundred one seventy one, which seems to be falling in line. But that still takes a good six to eight months, and still costs a company a couple hundred right. thousand dollars it's, to do. So. I mean, we're going through it right now. I mean, yeah. you've got to set yeah. a parallel. I mean, the the amount of information to protect control, or the amount of work to protect controlled unclassified information, is incredible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's not classified information, but you almost have to treat it on a separate network. Not really a separate network. You got to handle it separately or differently than you would general chit chat over email and, right. and everything else. The way you store the information, it's crazy. 
Okay, yeah, so there are some security to... components here. Absolutely, and they are thinking about ones. it. And, and they've been good. thinking about it for a good year or so. So I think it's going to all come to a head here in the next couple of months with this, this GSA RFQ and the awards that go around it. They're going to give companies, you know, about six months of a ramp to get to to get an ATO with GSA, you know, to be able to, to you know, to move forward and, and sell off of this contract. Now, that doesn't take into account that there's already a few thousand charging stations out there. And then. The, 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 you know, there will be a group of people that say, well, then let's just put in a non-network station. And then what happens is some random person comes in and plugs their personal vehicle in at a military site that you think the thing is behind a fence. They plug in and it's like, oh, but they're plugging in and they're getting free, you know, free gas or free, free fuel, you know, free electricity. And then it becomes a really major issue. So you need those access controls. So you need them to be connected. Um, but then that opens up the security, you know, can of worms. But I think they're getting a good grasp around it, um, you know. And then, then the whole supply chain risk management is starting to come into play. They want there. There's a lot of rules around that and having your your SCRM plan and all this different stuff. So it's there's a lot, and there, you know, we we know there's a lot of of requirements, but there's a lot that they're looking at related to EVSE as well. Um, Again, that plug-in yeah. charge ISO will will change change the game even further because now the car is communicating with the station. So there's, you know, and then right. when you get into sure. in one last thought, when you get into telematics and like a lot of these right. EVSE can 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 talk to the telematics. Now you've got the GPS telematics, you know, mm -hmm. data and that type of thing. Oh, so you can know where the vehicles are, and you know, so that's going to, you know, start to start to come into play as well. And they're, they're thinking ahead on that to some extent. Okay. Because Rachel, question for you. Yeah. Good. Rachel. Oh, 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 well, I mean, I have so many questions, but no, I have a question for you. Oh, you have a question for me. Okay. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. We, we had, we, we had Sudaka on from solar winds in December. We've had a number of guests talking about since the show started really, Building security in from the beginning. So Docker talked mm -hmm. about security by design, right? Yep. What happens here where the infrastructure is not necessarily in alignment with government security requirements, but the government is driving to make things more efficient, reduce costs, modernize, adopt green technologies, and security may slow down that 25% adoption I think it was 25% by 2027. It's it's 100% light duty. Oh, I'm sorry. 100% light duty. Thank yeah, you. 100%. Yeah. Right. So so what's going to win out, Rachel? <laughs> hey, I mean, sometimes you got to move at speed to get it done, you know? I mean, it's this I mean, I know you said climate aside, but these things are really really important. Um, you know, and if we're going to hit targets, sometimes you have to kind of work in parallel. I don't know your face, Eric. It looks a little. So we're 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 moving away from like security uh, built in from the beginning because the mission again, the mission needs supersede the requirement to adhere to government security requirements. That's really the the discussion they're going to yeah. have to have. One one good example that came up with an agent an agency and I don't want to name company names and it it stinks because yeah, it's no, pretty obvious don't. I'd say it but 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 ride sharing programs compared to like uh, a telematics provider 
you know, telematics, it's kind of like no brainer. FedRAMP is really, really applicable. But with a, mm-hmm. a ride share program, it may not, not may not be. And I, that's a comparison that I had um, on a conversation with a federal IT person, IT security person, where they compared it to that. So being that the ride share program, there's, you know, it's not as important to to have the security around it and that type of thing. So it's 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 figuring out they're trying to take this this ball and put it into a, you know, into a, a bucket or whatever and, and fit it nice and tidy. But it's very unique. And like I said, the data is pretty insignificant. So um, theoretically, it seems like it's an av- as a service. And I've heard right. government IT professionals say that, too. Theoretically, it's, you know, it's a it's an as a service, but the software really it's not really providing any real significant federal data. So it's it's sort of the government doesn't have that distinction. That's that's the problem when like if we were dealing with a commercial company, you you could. You know, somebody could very easily say, okay, hey, the risk is clearly worth the reward. right? Right. And I think what we're arguing here, Matt, is. This is a no-brainer. Commercial yes. industry is doing it. We've got right. seven hundred thousand vehicles. We've got to do it. The FedRAMP team may be like, "Hey, no problem. Do it the way we say." And, you, and, and then the response is, "But it'll take too long." And they'll say, "Well, that's what we. Yeah, you know, that's the way we like." There, there's yeah. a there's a trade-off here. Someone's going to have to make that decision. Right. I agree with you. I mean, the, what's what's the risk? I mean, I think the risk is greater that the cars have microphones and cameras and all kinds of sensors in them that you could tap into potentially than, than getting true. fueling data or charging data. Um, I agree with you. I, I hope yeah. somebody does make the right decision because we could save the country a lot of money here. Yes. We can improve our services. I, I fundamentally believe that as someone who's about to step into the electric vehicle market myself. Mm-hmm. I, I absolutely believe this is the right way to go. It's just how do you do it securely? Right. Yeah, I, I agree. And you you hit the nail on the head with everything you just said. So I agree. Don't, don't, valid, I don't, don't validate it, Matt. Don't oh, validate it. Sorry. I, hey, I don't hey. have any answers, Rachel. What, what's, what, how will <laughs> the government do it? Better, so let's go. <laughs> great conversation, though. I really, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I, I think, I don't know how you feel. I mean, really informative. Brings out a lot of the the, the so challenges, the opportunities, the exactly. questions. You know, and I think government government organizations are going to need help. The, yeah. the typical facilities or procurement person may not know how to take. Hey, we're going to be a hundred percent BEV by twenty twenty seven. Yeah, like mm-hmm. I, I, it strikes me as early in I don't know, it was probably two thousand ten twelve when the government was cloud first. And all of a sudden, everybody just started pouring things into the cloud without understanding cost and security right. and how to optimize and how to leverage really the benefits of what the cloud brought them, the pros and cons. I think we'll be better off here because people understand it commercially a lot better. I hope exactly. so. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I'm happy to do part two, by the way, if we want to, because I think I think yes. a follow up. A follow-up would be good once this GSA RFQ is awarded in April, supposedly prior on mid-April, that's right. going to... Then the next six months after that, so going into the end of the federal fiscal year into October, that's when companies that are awarded this contract have to be mm-hmm. up to speed cybersecurity-wise based on the requirements in the RFQ and getting that ATO with GSA. So in, you know, in, in say, six to seven months, we're, I think this a lot of the, the questions we have we're talking about right here will, will be answered as to where, you know, which way they're going to go. And then there's okay, the whole supply chain. Okay, it's a date, September, August, September, what do you want? 
Yeah. What is that probably, like September September one? <laughs> yeah, something in September would, would 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 more than likely tell us a bigger a a, a bigger picture on this. Um, okay. It's going to be Let's really interesting. I, I mean, it's already interesting. It's it's just how does it play out? You know, how does it start to play out? Really appreciate the education today. This is yeah, uh, this is great. Know, I was prepping for the session, Rachel, and I had all these questions, but now I have a hundred more. I know. <laughs> exactly. And we got some really good information. Exactly. Yeah. yeah the one percent thing. Wow, that's crazy. The fact that the federal fleet they wanted twenty five percent by two years ago, and they're only at one percent is you know. How so. many Studebakers are still in the federal fleet? That would be Ooh. a question I'd want to know. <laughs> That'd be kind of cool. I'm, I'm no, liking probably that. Probably not a lot. Stuff. But like a 76 <laughs> Malibu, I'm betting there are a couple lying around. Yeah, there, there's yeah. probably some, some, some that fell through the cracks there, some, some really old cars. But you take care pretty, of them, they last, you know? I mean. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's numbers. I mean, some of these really large federal fleets, again, I won't name names because I've been doing this for eight years. I've had some really interesting conversations with okay. some really interesting fleet managers and groups. And anyway, one of the larger fleet-sized groups said that 50% of their fleet is five miles, five miles or less per day, which is per, crazy. For, and, like, first and those of all, aren't bicycles. No, they're not. Wow. <laughs> so the average less than five miles a day. And then th there's obviously some of the federal fleet where they're driving a couple hundred miles a day. Exactly. Well, now you now another thing that opens up, and I know we've got to go, but the, the infrastructure bill is going to help that because these agencies will probably have to, for those types of vehicles, will have to use infrastructure that's in place for the private industry. Exactly. How do you do that? You use the charging station by connecting your WEX card, which is right express your fueling card to fuel up at an electric vehicle charging station as well. And yeah. so that integration is coming you know, is, is, is in play with all of this too. So those longer vehicles are going to need to leverage infrastructure outside of their federal site. So, yeah. Um, right. Cause you're not driving from base to base or government building to government right. building. Yeah. Okay. So September, we'll, we'll follow up there. We yep. do have to wrap. Hopefully my yes. Rivian is delivered by that point. I, I seriously doubt it, um, but we'll see. Rachel, <laughs> do you want to take us home? <laughs> I'm feeling positive. Next time we have this conversation with Matt, Eric, you will be driving your Rivian and you will love it. The Maybe we'll do the hair. podcast. Yeah, we'll record exactly. it from the vehicle. Exactly. And is it a smart driving vehicle too? So you could sit in the back seat while you do the podcast or? No, it's no, not quite not up like to that. speed with Tesla. I think from what I, I've seen on, yeah, on that type of capability, but that's okay. But that, like that's driving. for the next conversation, the next conversation. All right. Well, as always, thanks again, Matt. Really, really appreciate your time today. It's been such a great conversation. I, uh, I really look forward to catching back up again in September and, and getting answers to all these questions that we still have lingering. Absolutely. So, good I luck for your RFQ, right? RFQ. You're right. RFQ. You got it. You're supporting. <laughs> what does the Q stand for? Request for uh, quote. Okay. So really what that means oh, is it's- Oh, Okay. Yes, say schedule holders, so they call it an RFQ instead of an RFP, which would be. Oh, it is an RFQ. I, I thought you said P. Okay. Yeah. That's why yeah. I was like, cool. oh, okay, it's cool. Anyway, learn something new every day. That usually it. means it's closer to the finish line, Rachel, than an RFP. There you go. Is a request for a proposal right. or an RFI, which is a request for information. Although and they, they can award on any of the three, it usually means they're more serious and more likely to do something in the near term. Uh, it makes sense when you're ready to start talking dollars. And With the government costs, caveat absolutely. everything. 
<laughs> anyway, of course. Matt, anyway. thanks for your time. We'll okay, see you in yeah. September. That's I right. really enjoyed it. Awesome. I, it's a date. I, I'm going to hold you guys to that. <laughs> Awesome. I love it. All right, cool. So thanks to our listeners again for joining us this week as always. And again, don't forget, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. You get Matt delivered fresh to your inbox on Tuesdays and uh, you're not going to want to miss this episode or the follow-up in September. So until next time, everybody, stay safe. Thanks for joining us on the To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast brought to you by Forcepoint. For more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit www.forcepoint.com slash govpodcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. 